Welcome to Autism Thinks. This podcast is hosted by the New Jersey Autism Center of Excellence, where we bring together the neuroscience, technology, and innovation to a soundscape that'll change your perspectives on all things autism and the world around us. Just one episode at a time. It's Hannah here. This episode, we're leveling up some more in this second part series with Autism Level Up. To bring you up to speed and to get more, I guess I should say, level-headed, be sure to listen to the previous episode with our Level Up team of developmental psychologists, Dr. Amy Lawrence and Dr. Jacqueline Feedy, if you haven't already. And to set the scene, we're heading back to the preschool classroom. Do you ever think back to what it was like as a kid, playing with different toys? What kind of toys did you used to play with? Remember Mr. Potato Head? Mr. Potato Head is this plastic model of a potato And on that plastic model, you can attach different plastic parts, like ears, eyes, a nose, and even a hat to it to create a funny little face. We were in an educational consultation somewhere, and the staff, the teachers, were continually saying they were legitimately worried about this student who, you know, he just takes out all the pieces and lines them up and then puts them back in the drawer, and then he takes out all the pieces again and he investigates them and and looks at them and then he puts them back in the drawer and he just can't play functionally there's no functional play no functional play and I I just said to them that I was like to be clear we are defining functional play as sticking human appendages (laughs) into a potato a plastic (laughs) potato as Dr. Feedy mentions we should think about why we even define functional play as only one way of playing with a toy. In this case, you're told that the only way you can play with Mr. Potato Head is simply by sticking plastic body parts onto a potato, into areas that they supposedly belong to. There are a lot of things we may be missing with this restricted, often misleading definition. When we think about what play really means, Play is a way children learn to make sense of the world, and functional play can be a powerful tool for developing cognitive and social skills. Dr. Feedy and Dr. Laurent hope to change your perspective on what functional play really is and what it can include. Society gets very tied up in these expected routines with these specific toys and how it should be done, but you know, who gets to decide that and why it's all a big problem in my mind. I could probably <laughs> go on a huge Terry rant here. Um, you could. But just, just as an example, you have to really stop and think, why do I think sticking a, an arm and lips into Mr. Potato Head is functional, but studying the parts is not? They say that play is all about innovation and exploration. And that whether you want to stick parts into Mr. Potato Head, or instead 
just play by inspecting each body part or make a live action remake of the Toy Story movie. It can all be functional play. It's important that you remember that the way a child plays is their natural way of engaging with the environment for restoration and joy. It can be harmful for their development if we impose our own ideas of what play should be, or worse, deeming their play as broken or not okay. And fun is functional. That's <laughs> another big one for us. Fun is functional. You can't have function without fun. You cannot. It's impossible. <laughs> if we are expecting children to play in a certain way, we, as Jacqueline said, are not only stifling their creativity, but we're having them work during that time. But we're also conveying a message to them that they're wrong, that what they do is not appropriate. It's not acceptable. And they should not be interacting with their environment that way. And that gets at the very start of the foundation of building up this this mask, which can be so damaging to mental health. So, I mean, all of it's interrelated and we need to think about it. Um, but just thinking that children don't play correctly and we need to teach them how to play correctly can have massive, massive implications in terms of long-term effects for individuals. It's no coincidence that there's fun and functional. When you wonder about what play has to do with the child's development, Dr. Feedy has one word for you. Everything. It's everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm echoing myself. Yeah. Our society gets so caught up on what certain things should look like and how certain things should be done um, and play included that we end up actually making children, especially children, really work so hard during the time that they're supposed to be playing just to be able to do what is being asked of them. There is no one right way to play. The only thing that should make play play is really exploration, inve investigation, exploring your environment, and however a child or and adult and whoever, everyone in between, however they do that naturally, that is their play and that is how they are interacting with their environment. As soon as we try to force them into some specific box that is not natural for them, it is no longer play, it is no longer investigative, it is no longer creative, and it is no longer regulating. So consider a child in a school who has quote unquote free time and a staff or teacher is continually approaching them to fix how they are playing. They are not getting the regulation or break that they need during that time. They are now continuing to work and use energy instead of regulating and exploring naturally like play should be. So play is hugely diverse and should be hugely diverse. And that is how it is most effective as our tool to learn in the world. In their Autism Level Up office, they have a tile with an Albert Einstein quote that reads, play is the highest form of research. Dr. Laurent expands on this notion of play, its importance, and how we define it. And I think that's the critical piece, right? And that relates back to the question that Hannah asked is, how does this relate to what we do? We do play. We, we play a lot. And part of that play is just casting off kind of what expectations are and being innovative and being creative and not putting 
some boundary on, but really be willing to think in new and different ways. And um, I'll use our analogy at different levels, right? <laughs> like um, not being bound by something. And that's what's going to allow us to drive forward and allow us to kind of create these new ways of thinking about support versus being stuck in previous ways and just rehashing it. As Jacqueline said, there is no function without fun. <laughs> and our office is a pretty fun place. But it, it, we do really approach pretty much every project with this, like, anything could happen. And that's really how we think about play. Anything could happen. Um, and you can't tell us what it should look like. Anything could happen. As part of the Autism Level Up resources, Dr. Feedy hosts power play sessions. Power plays are like quick doses of physical activity to increase, decrease, or maintain your energy levels to support active engagement. She presents a sort of menu of exercise options to choose from. You want to try some Spider-Man push-ups, similar to our last move, but a little more challenging. Hands and feet. Go down, bring one leg up, come back up, other side, and you'll just alternate. And with everything centered on fun and play, and the very name Level Up reminding us of a fun video game, it only makes sense for these power play sessions to have fun-packed themes. In the superhero-themed workout session, you could do Spider-Man push-ups, Black Panther karate kicks, and Superman holes. They also have Power Play the Animal Way as well as the Harry Potter Quidditch Way too. And you can check them all out in our show notes. Through the things that they can you know, learn about themselves as their own needs that they need to feed. <laughs> and that is what can be carried forward into any environment so that they are able to navigate it. If you know your own profile, your own needs, what works for you, what supports you absolutely must have, you can really thrive in many, many environments outside of school. This notion of play is intertwined with the power of partnership. Nothing can really be studied or made sense of in isolation. When we find ways of supporting autistic children, we need to collaborate with everyone in the child's life. The child's self, their parents, teachers, and other professionals like occupational therapists and physicians. Like we talked about in our previous episode, our dynamic duo of developmental psychologists embodies this power of partnership and understanding. Engaging with the autistic community, listening to its members and learning from them guides all of their work. Ultimately, the voices of the autistic community should inform what we research and how we interpret what we find. 
just my work with Jacqueline and this partnership and this ability to infuse the neurodiverse perspective into everything that we do and this huge focus on community engagement has just been really revolutionary in my thought process and my practice. And for me, I think one of the most, I don't, gratifying seems like a funny word to use here, but amazing moments, awesome moments recently was bringing this concept of energy to the autistic community based on Jacqueline's experience and just watching how it was embraced and responded to is just so amazing. And we have an article that's forthcoming and we had 18 different autistic individuals contribute in some way to the article about their experiences with energy. And they range in age five to over 50, I'm not quite sure, sure exactly, 50 something, and all different communication methods. So some are typers, some speak, some use gestural communication, but just this ability to like resonate with this community. Like it was something that I just kind of sat down with and sat with and was like, wow, like we played with this <laughs> in a useful reality sort of way and fed the need of the community to create something really powerful that's going to level up how we can support the community and that, that to me i mean there's so many yes i can point to different families and different things but that ability to bring a different concept has just been so amazing and it's the partnership that allowed it to happen if i did not have amy as a as a partner in this one i would not know the kinds of things um that I need to be saying that I need to be pointing out because I don't have thought processes around <laughs> other people's thinking. Yep, yep you don't. <laughs> and, and I don't have the, uh, I don't even know what to, like all of it, the social energy executive functioning <laughs> to actually get my points and my visions out to a community and to sustain and manage that whole front of, of how we engage our community. So our partnership is like yin and yang here. <laughs> like we complement each other very well and it's a very powerful thing to be a part of and it's a beautiful thing to use that kind of power to really actually better people's lives. and I do research and evaluation of programs and of policies, so this is quite an invitation. When I think about the notion of neurodiversity and assessing whether it is evident in current ASD, interventions, and if so, then to what degree, there is so much to consider, so much that I do see. Along the lines of play and understanding one another, we're exploring the power of poetry. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? 
the loss we carry a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always yep. peace. Poetry. The interplay of words and rhythm. And it's something that many of us find comfort in. Whether we want to be inspired at a special event or inauguration, or in solitude, wanting to make sense of the world around us. Dr. Feedy has talked about how she finds comfort in poetry, and she writes some amazing verses. One memorable poem she wrote was an open letter to carers of autistics. In this poem, there are a few verses that go, diversity is natural and a need for survival. Yet we work so hard to tame and unravel that which is different and that not like you, as if humans prefer comfort over that which is true. I'm going to tell you two very important things about the poem. The first part is it speaks to my natural way of expressing myself. I have, I have always had words and vocabulary, but when it comes to things that are really intense, really ampy, really intense, lots of energy uh, going through my body, I, I don't always have access to spoken words. And poetry and writing has been something throughout my life that I can turn to to better express myself. Or also to make things more meaningful to me. I, I would often change assignments in school where I'd be like, yeah, that essay is pretty boring. Uh, so I'm going to just turn it into a poem. So poetry has been something throughout my life that helps me express myself and helps me find meaning in things. So that that's part one, that this letter that I have written is very authentically me. And part two is that um, so often, you know, I see on social media, Twitter, Facebook, wherever it may be, where there's, there's real big divides often between parents of autistic children and autistic adults or educators and staff in schools and autistic adults and autistic people. And it's really, really unfortunate because we should all be working together. We should be listening to each other's perspectives. Again, this is like the power of the partnership because until we do that, we won't really make progress. We need to know the experience of parents. We need to know the experience of our educators and we need absolutely to listen to the experiences of autistic adults who have been through their childhood and their education and they know what has worked and, and what didn't work and what was just plain abusive or wrong. And educators know the limits that they face in terms of working in school systems and under school policy and rules and set curriculum and such. And parents know what they go through and what they're told by medical professionals and all of the various forms of quote unquote advice that they're getting. We need to bring all these stakeholders to the same table and actually listen to each other and not get so defensive as much as we can help it because that is where we will start to make real progress. We should all be fighting for 
a better environment and society to support um, autistic people and neurodiverse people generally. And I think some of these big rifts that we see often happening are really setting us back in the progress we could be making. So that's kind of the theme of the letter. It's a, it's a plea <laughs> for this shared common goal and, and really, again, that focus on useful reality to make the world a, bit, a little bit of a better place for all of us. If you'd like to read an open letter to the carers of autistics, you can find the link in our show notes to the poem in Dr. Phoebe's blog. Just to really emphasize that common goal is a better place for the autistic person from their perspective, right? Yeah. Right. Um, so it's not what we think it should be, but what it is from their perspective. And if you'd like to know more about how to access and learn more about the Autism Level Up resources and supports, Dr. Lawrence got you. Both a Facebook page, which I know we've referenced with our banner and useful reality, which has a lot of the supports that people can access. They're all, if you go to the photo albums and you click on the little tab in the lower right hand corner that says see all albums, all of these things will come up and you can start to kind of navigate around to find different things. We also have a website, which is autismlevelup.com and the resources are all free and downloadable there. We always write a description of why it's been created the way it has with both of our perspectives. Oftentimes, but not always, there'll also be a video of us discussing that same kind of topic, I guess, in conversation with one another. Um, we have a few less of those right now just because of timing of things. And sometimes when there's a really important tool, like Jacqueline was talking about creating this profile, we have a tool called the person in context that helps create the profile that Jacqueline was talking about, about, you know, social motivation, communication preferences and things. She'll have a video talking about her own experience, filling it out too. And those are really powerful for people to be able to access. So we would definitely encourage people to mine everything that we put out there because that's our goal. Our goal is to put it out there so people can use it. We play to create useful reality so other people can apply it. <laughs> and finally, it's unfortunate that we're bringing this action-packed episode series to a close. But as all wonderful things in life, everything must come to an end. Dr. Feedy and Dr. Laurent leave you with some advice if you're on your own autism journey. I think one of the most powerful, important, and foundational things that an autistic person can do that will be a foundation for all else along their journey is really to get to know their own mm. profile and their own needs. If, if they understand their sensory profile, their social profile, um, their preferred communication, their motor, all of, all of it that goes into this big regulation thing, um, <laughs> it's huge for them. And it's a necessary mm. first step if, if they will ever be able to advocate for themselves and their needs, right? You can't advocate for something that you don't know, because um, if you don't know it, certainly the world around you uh, will likely not know it. So 
between that person and their most trusted real partners, I think developing that profile is, it's the springboard for all else, in my opinion. Your highlighting kind of the trusted and real partners is really important because it is, I think, sometimes finding your partners, whoever they are, that can be so useful. One of the most important things, if we are supporting somebody, is to make sure that they know their identity, that they know their that they know there's a reason that their profile is different and to be able to build that understanding. And I think oftentimes we find situations where families are starting out their journey with uh, a child or um, teachers or supporting students and people are all afraid of is, I guess, the best way to say telling someone they're autistic when what you're really doing is withholding their identity and their ability to understand how they navigate the world and why it may be different than other people around them. And so I think that's a very important first step is disclosure and disclosure leading to things like building a profile, which will then lead towards actions that can be advocacy in the long run. Super important. And we've got all sorts of writings about that too. (laughs) Because we do. That's what we do. (laughs) We make stuff. (laughs) To learn more about all the wonderful stuff the Autism Level Up Partnership makes, visit AutismLevelUp.com and their Facebook page. In addition, let us know if there's anything you want to hear more of in these podcast episodes. And with that, I'm your host, Hannah, signing out.